Will you join me as we pray, um, as we receive God's word? Lord, we come to you this morning eager for what you have to say to us. God, meet us in your word. Meet us um, in our hearts and just open up our, our ears to hear what you have to say to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Our first scripture reading today is Psalm 20, which is found on page 499 in your pew Bible. A prayer for victory to the leader, a Psalm of David. The Lord answer you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your victory and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord will help his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories by his right hand. Some take pride in chariots and some in horses, but our pride is in the name of the Lord our God. They will collapse and fall, but we shall rise and stand upright. Give victory to the King, O Lord, and answer us when we call. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, again, good morning. And before we dive in to our second text, our Old Testament reading from the book of Samuel, I, I feel it's necessary to give you a little bit more context as to where we are. Now, last week, we heard about God's response to the people who were longing for a king. Basically, it was this have-it-your-way kind of statement from God, which, if I had been on top of things a bit more, I, I really, I reminded myself this last week of the Burger King logo. Burger King and the Kingly story would go great together, have-it-your-way. They opened up a real can of worms with that one, didn't they? <laughs> there's a sense, though, that there's a resignation to the hopes of the people, saying, uh, you can have what you want. It may be misguided, but I will give you what you need or what you want. And the response to their cries inaugurating this new monarch. And the sad thing is that Saul, the monarch who was put in place, is such a tragic figure. I mean, the man really meant well. He was so earnest. And yet in his earnestness, he misses the point of being a king under the authority of God. To be, it means to be faithful to follow God's instructions. Being a king under God is to be simple, uh, but, but focused on the right things, the desires of his heart to be turned toward God. And Saul misses it. Uh, when told to go utterly defeat an enemy, Spaul, Paul spa Saul spares their, their king and their choice livestock. Ultimately, the anointing of God then leaves Saul. Even though he tried, Saul is not able to be faithful to the high calling. And so right before our morning's scripture text, Saul is informed by Samuel that God is rejecting him as the king. God has other plans in mind. Saul is bewildered and continues to try to serve God, but it's clear that a change must be made. Now we're in the thick of one of the biggest transition moments in ancient Israel's history. The passing away of the people's king 
and the emerging of the king anointed by God, chosen by God, and not the people, not by stature or looks, but because of God's view of his heart. This king and this transition is King David. And we pick up the story in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, it's a longer passage, so I want, you to, I want to point out a couple of things for you to listen to before we begin. First, that God is seeking a king whose character, heart, are of the utmost importance. Age, stature, experience, these things are seemingly unimportant compared to the nature of the king's faithfulness and his way of being. And then the second thing, at the end, we find a shift in God's presence from, from Saul to David, and it's swift and decisive. God is on the move, seeing David for all he will be. And God no, wastes no time looking back on what could have been, but swiftly, dynamically moves to usher God's people into a new way. Let's hear our scripture text. The last verses of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and then the beginning of chapter 16. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gabeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul the king of Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve Saul? I have rejected for him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. And, I, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, saying, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse said, Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven more of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, bring him for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Pray with me. God, in this text, we ask that you would shine the light upon uh, your truth, the way that you have uh, given us gifts and calling deep within us, things beyond what the world may see. And may we know that and receive that goodness today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, with this text today, I want to highlight two things, a teaching I have and a curiosity I have. As I read this in our context today, I hear a teaching and a, and a curiosity. When I first learned to preach and speak publicly, a mentor of mine taught me that the most inexperienced speakers attempt to cram too many topics into their sermons. So, I just want to say, today I've only chosen to try to cram two. Two. A teaching and a curiosity. First, the teaching. Samuel looks at the son of Jesse and sees his stature, his appearance, and thinks, well, surely this one or this one or this one is a king. He sure looks like a king, and Samuel is wrong. Going through the whole list of sons, it isn't age or appearance or position in the family line that matters. It doesn't matter what their trade is, how much money or experience they have, whether or not they would look good as a king or be a, you know, a perfect uh, leader in a battle. No, none of this seems to matter here. And the teaching we can take from this comes directly from verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Friends, hear this. This powerful, affirming teaching. What matters to the world in terms of position and privilege, is of little import to God. God looks at what is in us, that, at who we are. And since we are beloved, good creations made by a good God who we bear the image of, God looks upon us with great hope and possibility for who we are capable of being. You and me and all of us. We are made good with a purpose. It feels really hard to see that sometimes when we measure ourselves by the standards of what the world says is good. But if we can pause for even just a moment today and hear this, it will change our lives. God has made for us a purpose and a calling. And when we have a hard time seeing it, when the weight of our lives gets to be too much to bear, it is important to be reminded of this. God looks at our hearts. God sees who we truly are, not the simple things that the world wants us to be. God sees our gifts, our strengths, and our wounds. God sees our potential and knows where we can harness that potential for the good fruit in the world. God sees what we cannot see. Now, before I move on, there is implicit in this reality that God sees our flaws, too. God saw Saul's heart, and while he was earnest 
in his attempts to please God, God could see that Saul's purpose was less than true. God saw Saul's flaws, and God sees ours. And the beauty of this exposing reality is that, again, our outward appearances that we put on, they cannot hide who we are in God's love. God sees all of our stuff and loves us. God sees our glory and our depravity, and God loves us. God shines the light back on us to show us how to heal, how to grow, how to be made whole once more. There's a beautiful end to Saul's story in chapter 15. He tries and tries and tries to be faithful and isn't able to follow God's instructions. God's spirit moves away on to the anointing shifting to David, the future king. But even as this happens, Saul tries to turn his heart back to God. He asks Samuel to lead him in worship. My hope as I hear this part of the story for Saul is that a bit of heart change is occurring. Knowing that he, he has no more time as the king or knowing that he had failed, Saul can still run into the arms of the loving Lord of creation to worship. In spite of all of his stuff, in spite of all of our stuff, God welcomes us home once again. Saul may not be king any longer, but Saul can still respond in worship. Okay, so that's the teaching this morning. God looks at our inner selves, our hearts, and calls us with a purpose according to what we are meant to be. God sees my heart, your heart, and works with it not with all the stuff that we put on around it. Now, friends, I want to transition to the curiosity I have about this text. As I read this narrative and unpack the parts of the story of the kingly succession in ancient Israel, I have to start to wonder at how God invites the people to move on from where they have been, to turn aside from this misstep that is Saul, and to reimagine their future at this juncture. The people wanted a king, and the first one didn't work out. Saul had some good with him, but ultimately his kingship failed. Now, I love in our godly play lessons that Tracy just led us through that we're always asked to wonder, to consider the perhaps behind the story, to be curious about what God might show us. What I'm curious about here is that I wonder at how God can swiftly change to David, having Samuel anoint him and leave Saul behind, at least as king, and say, okay, this is what's next. I'm curious because this movement that I see is perhaps the way God helps us understand change and adaptation. God moves quickly and decisively to David. God sees David's gifts, Saul's faults, and God moves. I think this is curious because it seems to have strong implications for how we are, as God's people, to mirror this movement. How do we set aside what is no longer working and move with God onto what's next? Because, friends, the old ways will pass away, it seems. 
and God is moving. Here's a place where I see this curiosity become concrete. Could it be, perhaps, that God is ushering us into change swiftly even now? For instance, we are hopefully, hopefully, nearing the end of some of the major disruptions that we have felt during this COVID-19 pandemic. As our state and our nation move towards reopening now that many people have been vaccinated, this is good news. And this change is going to happen fast. Fast like the fast it was when we shut everything down last year. Fast like, it's okay, let's learn how to do life together post-COVID-19. With all that we've learned and all the ways we've changed and grown. What it makes me wonder about is that as we face this sh certain shift, how can we steer clear of attempting to go back, but rather move forward, changing and growing more deeply into who we are meant to be? Now, there will be temptations to see King David as a king just like Saul, and yet we resist that as we see God moving upon him and ushering in a new chapter of the monarchy. And for us, there will be temptations to resume business as usual, the way things were. But I'm curious if we can resist that a bit. I'm curious, after this long year where we've tilled the earth of what's possible, venturing into this hybrid worship setup with more connections over digital platforms, with beautiful expansions in our music program here at the church with video recordings and virtual choirs and people bringing their gifts to the, to the surface. I wonder if this might be an opportunity for us to see God moving ahead of us and for us to keep up. What I mean is, can we see God's movement in this passage similarly to how we are being invited to move forward as a people? Can we see that God has invited us to a season of faithful change? What if we were to emerge from this time with creative new ways of loving our neighbor, new endeavors for serving the world with compassion, new creative ministries where we joyfully worship God in community together? What if the failures of this year, the wounds and the heartaches, of all that we've gone through, what if these have been meant to form us into a renewed people of God? What if God is inviting us to step forward into being the church in ways that we never could have imagined one, two, three, five, ten years ago? I've tried over the course of this year to gently nudge us in a pastoral way towards the comfort around these shifts that are occurring. I've tried to pastor this church in a way that helps us recognize the hope and the possibility of new things and fresh paths. And the unknown, we all know that can be, it can be very scary. But it is also filled with great potential to be renewed in Christ's love. If we will step out into that unknown faith and trust in God's good plan, so, I, I want you to join this curiosity with me and ask, what, what is emerging in you 
today? What is God calling us forward into as a community? And what if we combined this teaching with this curiosity? What is in our hearts that God is beckoning to come out at this juncture in our life together? What beneath all the appearances is God calling us to? How are we being called to step faithfully forward in this moment? I want to wonder around this question as a community. I want us to be curious about where God is leading us. I want us to accept the inherent beauty within ourselves and celebrate it in each other. And I want us to keep venturing forward, following the God who is moving, the God who sees us, and the God who loves us dearly. Will you pray with me? Lord, we walk in faith, trusting that you have moved in us, that you have called us, you have made us with purpose, deep care. Lord, may we pare back all the things that we put on in order to appear like we have it together. And instead, Lord, will you please surprise us as a people who discover your way among us in new and transformative uh, examples and pictures of it, Lord. May we be a people who are prepared to move with you and to receive your goodness as we faithfully follow. We pray all this in the name of Christ.